Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Tola, along with my co-host, Chris Quinn. And today we're continuing our Drugs and Baseball series uh, with part two with a little drug I like to call cocaine. Yeah, we're getting that Colombian white, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that Peruvian marching powder making its way into baseball. Other references to cocaine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it. Uh, I didn't know about this scandal as much as... Because I feel like we're going to get right back into it. MLB just kind of swept it under the rug. Yeah, they swept it under the rug until it was entirely too late. Yes. Um, because it was very pervasive in baseball. Um, greenies were the thing from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, and even later. But then a certain drug made its way into America. Yes, that's the thing. It definitely came with when it came into America through... South America. South America. But... Yeah, with cocaine at that time when it started getting popular, it was the drug without consequences to many people. Yes, yes. And because of how it made you feel, obviously very popular. And uh, as an upper as well as a drug, very popular among baseball players who were already greeny fiends. Yeah, that's the thing is I feel like um, this drug didn't necessarily like take over greenies as much as it they like had the coincide and, and yeah it was a two, marriage basically. yeah a marriage of these two pretty crazy uppers across baseball yeah and because it's a drug for people with means baseball players make a lot of money guess what drugs they're doing rich people drugs cocaine yeah, definitely they were asking the uh pittsburgh pirates uh drug dealers if they were kind of taking advantage of these you know guys who are well off and they were just yeah. pretty much like well they were the ones buying coke exactly they supply and demand it's the basis of our entire economy exactly <laughs> or the black market economy or any economy but i, f I feel like we're in the black market economy now baby yeah. all right anyways <laughs> uh so i thought it always started with the pittsburgh drug trial um and but it goes a little before that. Yeah, it goes a little before that. You can discuss it if you'd like to. Well, the the Royals, the Kansas City Royals, um, had, I think it was six players. Yeah, the most famous of which were Vita Blue, Willie Mays Akins, and Willie Wilson. And Willie Wilson. And yeah. um, they all got busted for buying Coke off of a federal agent. Yeah. So they were trying to all buy pretty much a bunch of Coke, and this federal agent, undercover, busted them, and they got, I think uh, the worst sentence was like 60 or 90 days in jail. And they really kind of swept it under the rug. Yes. Like, that should have been the first warning to baseball. This is an issue. You have these guys. And it was large quantities that they were buying. It wasn't just like I was an gonna, eight ball. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't like, uh, and it was for personal use, but it wasn't like one of those things where they were buying it for like a Saturday night. No. Like they were buying it for like a month's supply. And they had like a party house in Kansas City where they do all of it. Yeah. I mean, it goes really deep with this. And that's the thing that I didn't really knew, know was I really thought it was all about Pittsburgh and I thought that was like the cocaine, and it really was the cocaine hub, but I thought that was the first time that players got busted. No, it wasn't. That was like, because it was swept under the rug, I know we keep using that phrase, but it really was by baseball because people kept ignoring it and thinking it wasn't a problem. Yeah. They, what they really ended up doing was 
making the Pittsburgh drug trials in the mid 80s a huge thing because that's when all the dirty laundry was aired because it had to be. It it resembles the Black Sox so much yeah. that cheating was so prevalent then. And then they finally were like, ah, we got to do something about it. And it was like cocaine was so prevalent. They were just like, ah, we got to do something about this. Yeah. It's like baseball took a frustrated stance like are you assholes serious yeah <laughs> come on get your shit together now we have to do stuff yeah exactly i have to actually ban this drug now guys you realize that they're like wait what like, <laughs> you actually have to go and tell the truth or else you're perjuring yourself assholes yeah exactly so let's get right into pittsburgh because that's really the hub and let me just say right now i always find it fascinating with that it's Pittsburgh because it coincides at the time where Henry Hill of Goodfellas fame is like, oh, I got to make a deal with my Pittsburgh people. Oh, yeah. It's like, this is where the drugs are kind of, you know, involved in the same kind of parallel type thing. Like, I just think of Lorraine Bracco when she goes to prison with all those drugs, like, oh, you want to Janice Rossi, bring this stuff in for you. Henry, let her bring it in. Let her do it. Let her do it, Henry. And he's like, Karen, Karen. But yeah, that's exactly what it was like. Those exactly that time frame of cocaine with <laughs> with the Goodfellas yeah. and this Pittsburgh connection. Because they're supplying it to the dealers who are in turn selling it to the baseball players. Exactly. And using other dealers like, well, we'll just say the Pirates mascot. <laughs> well, I want to get into this because... There's something about these stories when the names line up. And first off, I love the fact that the pirates are essentially the the criminals of the MLB. Oh, right, yeah. And then if that wasn't good enough, the mascot's name who's selling cocaine to everybody, what was his name? His name was Kevin Coke. <laughs> like, literally. Like, you might as well be like uh, Kareem Hookshot. Like, Seriously. I don't even... Like, like, it's crazy. It just lines up perfectly. Yeah, I but, love it. But Pittsburgh really became the hub, and they had a lot of heavy users on their team who also, because they play in the National League, at that time I think there are 12 to 14 teams in the National League. Pittsburgh is like the main place that you go. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia to a lesser extent, but Pittsburgh was where all these players could get hooked up by these dealers. Yeah. Like... Um, for instance, some of the players involved in it that were actually like really good, like Dave Parker, yep. he was one, the Cobra MVP, probably kept out of the Hall of Fame because of all this. A lot, of, I feel like some players really were kept out of the Hall of Fame because of this. Dale Barra, Yogi Berra's son, Lee Lacey, Lee Mazzilli, John Milner, and Rod Scurry was the really interesting one because him and Barra were the hangouts of one of the main dealers, Dale Schiffman, who was buddies with the mascot, Kevin Koch. Yeah. So so Schiffman and uh, Schiffman and Coke would party a lot with Dale Barra and Rod Scurry, and because of this, you know, they're distributing it to all the players. They're selling it. The damn mascot was selling Coke in a bathroom at the stadium exactly. at Three Rivers Stadium. He was selling Coke in the damn bathroom. John Milner came out and said that he bought Coke from the mascot in the bathroom stall. And then went and played. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and like guys for other teams would go there and do bumps during games. Like exactly. Tim, Tim Raines, who's actually in the Hall of Fame, was kept out for a very long time. He would have a vial in his back pocket and he would say he would slide headfirst into bases so he wouldn't break the vial. Exactly. He would never slide like a regular slide. He would only slide head first because he always knew he had Coke in his back pocket. And he was like, I never want that to break, ever. I don't no. care if I get thrown out. I don't care. 
it, it, cocaine's the, a hell of a drug. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Keith Hernandez, who I always knew from Seinfeld fame. Yeah. I never knew from this cocaine era. But he played for the Cardinals at the time. Exactly. He was the co-MVP in 79 with Dave Parker. Exactly. The cocaine-fueled year. And that's what they said was 79-80 was when MLB really became had a love affair. Yeah, that was Keith Hernandez's words yeah. under oath and trial. Was that they had a love affair with, with cocaine. And he estimated that around 40% of the league was using it, which... When He's you, backed off that a little now, but yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think that's a really accurate number. I would, I would say so too. Because I think what he was looking at was like, well, in my clubhouse, you know, every four out of 10 guys are doing it. Exactly. And, and you look at that and you're just like, well, that's probably common throughout. Well, and I know I brought this up before the podcast, but this is pre like the recent expansion of MLB, but I was talking about it, how it was like a national league circuit of guys you know when you play the pirates you know where to get it at three river stadium but could you imagine if the marlins and diamondbacks existed you'd have the miami and phoenix markets pretty much for the cocaine yeah, the, the import hubs of this drug you're having tony montana out of one city god damn it and then you're having the fucking mexican mafia and cartels up in phoenix <laughs> like what yeah no it was it would have exploded that much more. Here's my question, though. Do you think the Coke was as big of a problem in the American League? I'm sure it had to be. I'm sure there was other, like... Other this, hubs. Th there's other hubs. I yeah. mean, this is the late 70s, early 80s. This is pre-Reagan. This is pre-Len Bias. I mean, it's a drug with, at that time, they thought, no consequences. Exactly. So that, like, that was the saying that went around with it. That was like, how could you not do this all night? And then uh, one of the interesting was was uh keith hernandez when he stopped doing it yeah he woke up like with the shakes and his nose was bleeding and he was like whoa i need to stop this. and then yeah he flushed the rest of what he had down the down the crapper yeah yeah i mean but yeah al you have new york that's yeah, a big I, I, city i know i mean california has cities i mean it's come just on. it's just one of those things that i find super interesting that that the National League really all went through Pittsburgh to get their Coke. Yeah. It, it's one of those, these stories that with the guy named Kevin Coke, I know, right? It's just one of those things where it's just like, well, we got to go to the Pirates. They got rum and Coke over there. <laughs> Yar. Yeah, exactly. It's going to make my nose bleed and make poor, horrible decisions. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry for the Sea Captain Simpsons reference. No, but. I love it. I love it. But a I monkey knife fight going. <laughs> Furious George, what have they done to you? <laughs> Smithers, this monkey's going to need most of your skin. Exactly. But it's oh. one of these things where cocaine, and, uh, and this is the marriage that we were talking about, they would use cocaine all night and greenies all day. Exactly. So, and it, then you level it off with the drinking, and, yes. which is also pervasive, and it's just a cocktail of madness. Yeah, it, it, I wonder how many people had um, mental problems post-career. Oh, you know what I mean? Lord, like, yeah. The the psychosis that must have come from that much pressure and uppers. Well, I mean, look at Daryl Strawberry for Christ's sake. I was going to say we're getting we're leading right. At, we were talking Keith Hernandez. He gets traded to the Mets, and then there's a couple of rookies on those. Yeah, Mets. there's a, you got Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden who uh, enjoyed the nose candy themselves um, in the Doc and Daryl Thirty for Thirty, which is actually really good. Hernandez was telling a story because yep. he's probably cleaned for about two three years at this point. You know, he's flying right, you know, doing the thing, just doing greenies and beer like a baseball player say, should. Uh, a sober baseball player. Yeah, so sober-ish. <laughs> That's what everyone says about me with my non-drinking now. I'm sober-ish. Yeah. 
but uh, he was talking about how he went onto the bus. He had left something on the team bus, and he heard this rustling in the back, and he sees just this person darting through be between the seats, and he looks back, and he finds a coked-out 20-year-old Doc Gooden. And yeah. he's like, I know exactly what this is. Oh, no. Like, he, you can see in that interview with him just, like, how much pain he still feels about finding him like that. Oh, I'm because sure. The empathy that Hernandez had because that was him. That was Lonnie Smith back playing for the Cardinals yep. in the late or in the early '80s. Like, just really, really sad. Well, he knew that he wasn't just kind of dabbling in the drug. He could see that he was just like completely immersed in it, and that's why I think him and him and Strawberry in those Mets years were were putting up great numbers, but were partying so hard. Yeah, and I mean. Strawberry, unlike Gooden, was able to keep it under wraps. I mean, he did the guest spot on The Simpsons. Daryl. He was nominated Big Brother of the Year. Yeah. It, it, he definitely kept it under until about 91. And that that's when he went home to L.A. as a free agent. Yep. And, and his, just got out of control. Yeah, they said his career dipped so hard that it, it was almost two different players. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. It was. It really was. Outside of a couple productive seasons as a Yankees DH, yeah. he really ruined a Hall of Fame career. Well, and this was the thing. When you look back at it, you he almost was for sure sober when he was DHing with the Yankees as opposed to just completely... Yeah gone and i forget because they kept trading him around it was like the dodgers and then he went to like the he astros went to the giants the giants and then he went to the yankees okay you know? um it was just really sad yeah but, uh back on the pittsburgh thing <laughs> yeah back i want to get the Pittsburgh. sorry we got off the rails there that's um, all right uh so rod scurry was kind of the guy that the feds looked into for doing the cocaine yes and then they started asking players just like kind of like okay well maybe some players are doing cocaine and then the feds we're asking these players just questions, you know, not like we're going to arrest you. Like, how pervasive is this? How many guys do drugs, do you think? You don't have to name any names. And the feds were so shocked by 1985 that they were like, we have an issue on our hands. We have an issue in Pittsburgh. Yes. MLB needs to know and they need to do their investigation. So in September of 1985, that's when it happens. September, the trial starts. And they bring in a lot of players to testify. And kind of the crappy thing is, because these players are testifying and admitting to their drug use, guys like Hernandez, guys like Lonnie Smith, guys like um, you know Dave Parker and things Dave, like yep. that, they all get immunity. Yes. They're all ratting out their friends. The feds caught Kevin Koch. Guess what Kevin Koch did, Mr. Pirate Parrot? That guy ratted on his friend Dale Schiffman to the feds. Yep. And it just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. Funny story about the pirate parrot. Just want to throw this in. Um, I was buying my nephew a birthday present this year, and his dad's from Pittsburgh, so he's a big Pirates fan. I didn't even think about it until it came in the mail, but I bought him one of those pop dolls, and I couldn't find any Pirates players, but they had the mascot, and I bought him a pirate parrot little figurine. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this is the coke dealing mascot. Shit, <laughs> this isn't an appropriate present for a three year old. Oh, he doesn't know. He won't. Know. He doesn't know. He was excited when he got exactly. it. Exactly. So, he know. doesn't know that it's just the disturbing backstory. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing is it was, that's how prevalent it was, was the, the fucking mascot was one of the biggest dealers around. And they, yeah. they commented on, they weren't necessarily dealers. Like you would think of dealers. They no. were more like friends. They were facilitate, just whatever facilitators. Thank but you. Yeah. They were, they were more or less hanger ons of an entourage. They yes. just knew the players. Cause Coke was the mascot. Yep. He knew all the players. Schiffman was a cool dude. They would just hang out. Exactly. And Schiffman would have a shit ton of cocaine. And, but it got really, really bad with some of these players. Like I think Coke was talking about one time Schiffman called him and he's like, dude, you got to get Dale Barra out of here. Not only does he have to play tomorrow, he's looking through all of my like pots and pans and kitchen shit. Yeah. He was like tearing up uh, out his house. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he was like taking out all the drawers. He was like, where do you, hi where are you hiding it? And he was like, yo, you got to get this guy out of here. It's like, dude, I, I don't have any more. Yeah. Like go away. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, um, the players are called. They're testifying all this stuff like Hernandez about the 40%, yep. where they're getting it, you know, pointing out the dealers in court. Like Lonnie Smith was pointing out a Phillies clubhouse attendant that used to hook him up, Curtis Strong. Actually, he wasn't a clubhouse attendant. He was a team caterer. Oh, okay, yeah. And you were, you're absolutely right. These aren't like seedy people. What they eventually found is these aren't seedy people dealing these players cocaine with any bad intentions. It's just, it's the early 80s. We're partying with MLB players, and we have large amounts of cocaine, which we sell. Exactly. Like, it wasn't like, I'm going to get these players all messed up and ruin their lives. It's just like, I did cocaine last night with Lonnie Smith and had an incredible night. I bet they were selling it to them at price. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I bet like they you weren't just like... somebody up. Yeah, they weren't like looking to make a bunch of money. They were literally looking to like party with these guys. And that's why when this whole drug trial came and no player got any jail time and the... I forget the Coke's friend. Uh, Dale Schiffman. Dale Schiffman got like 12 years or some shit. Yeah. And, um, and that's when you see um, our criminal justice systems messed up laws regarding the difference between sentencing and got most of these guys got out. I was going to say early, very early. But the differences between selling cocaine powder and crack rocks. Yes. Because if they were selling these players crack rocks, although I can't imagine these rich players settling for crack, um, they would probably still be in jail right now. Well, there's the, a story about an ex-player who was busted in the original uh, Kansas City. Yeah, Willie Mays Akins. Willie Mays Akins, who got busted, I think, in like 92 for selling crack. Yeah. And went to jail for like 10 years. Exactly. So it, it's one of those things where these players who got away with this, I guess, would be yeah. the thing. Definitely, it came back to bite them on the ass later in life. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully we do a Lonnie Smith story because he's okay now. But when he was in Kansas City, sweet was, Christ. Well, and then we're talking about Rod uh, Scurry, who died in 92 of what they think of as a cocaine-induced heart attack. Yeah, and so, uh, one of the dealers was talking about how, like, and this is the shame of baseball and the culture of the code of baseball and keeping everything in-house even the front office wouldn't help him. Exactly. Like they just said, get better on your own. Like, exactly. And that's why I got to shout out Doc Ellis again for this, for the work that he did. Work that he did to get these players anonymous rehab. That was the other thing. Is Yeah, exactly. And that's what I like about that yeah. is if they wanted it, they could do it and they wouldn't have to tell people. Exactly. They didn't have to go on this whole like 
apology tour. Yes, publicity tirade about, oh, I'm so sorry that I was a 23-year-old millionaire. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, such a, it's such a ridiculous thing where... You already feel enough shame. Exactly. Because you realize what you did, and that had to be so embarrassing, ratting people out, essentially, in a federal trial. Yeah. But by uh, 19, you know, the trial's over in September. You have uh, Curtis Strong, the Phillies uh, caterer, 12 years in prison, only served four. Dale Schiffman, 12 years, only served two. Shelby Greer, just guilty of seven charges. Didn't see how much he served. Uh, Thomas Balzer, 18 months served. Kevin Connolly, that was the guy who was talking about Scurry, how nobody helped him. Served two and a half years. Oh, okay. And yeah, all, all these dealers got sentenced, but the players got away. But the problem was for some of these players is commissioner at the time, Peter Uberoth, was, who took over for Bowie Kuhn in, I think, 85, he had wanted to put a stop to it. So he went after the players and started suspending them. But the problem is, is these players, when the suspensions were handed down on the 28th of February, 1986, the players union, as we discussed in the previous podcast with the Greenies, put the hammer down and said to Uberoth, these are our terms. Yeah. And this is what's going to happen because the original thing, the players did follow up with it is they were first suspended for the season, but it was commuted. They didn't have to serve any suspension time. They did have to donate 10% of their salaries for this first group of seven because there were 11 players in all. The first group of seven donate 10% of their salary to like drug abuse and prevention shit like D.A.R.E. Yeah. And uh, they had to commit to drug testing these seven players because they were in deep with this stuff and then do a hundred hours of community service. So some of these players are Joaquin Andahar, great pitcher for the Astros and the Cardinals, Dale Barra, Enos Cabell, Keith Hernandez, uh, Jeffrey one flap down Leonard, everybody from the 1987 NLCS MVP on the losing giants team, <laughs> uh, Dave Cobra Parker and uh, Lonnie Smith. And then you had another four who weren't in as deep, but they also had to do, instead of 10%, they had to donate 5% of their salary and then do 50 hours of community service with testing. So it was um, Al Holland, Lee Lacey, Larry Sorensen, also a pirate, and uh, Claude L. Washington, an outfielder for the Braves, uh, most famously of the Braves. And then I didn't even know this, but apparently 10 other players weren't suspended, didn't have anything to do with it, but they were connected in some way. Yeah. Ten other players got uh, random drug testing the rest of their career, and those guys were Dusty Baker, famous manager. Which also, is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Vita Blue, great pitcher, part of that Royals thing at the very beginning. I was going to say part of the original crew of guys who got busted. Uh, Gary Matthews, great outfielder for the Phillies and Cubs. Tim Raines, oh. uh, Dickie Knowles, uh, Marty Sormond, I think, Rod Scurry. Um, and uh, one more guy I want to add um, on this as a Padres fan, because his story is phenomenally sad, was second baseman Alan Wiggins. Um, he could never kick the coke. He was the leadoff hitter on their 84 pennant team. He batted in front of Tony Gwynn, just a speedster, yeah. great player. Um, not only did he get involved with cocaine, he got into heroin and he died of AIDS in the early nineties because of, uh, needle use. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was really tragic. The Alan Wiggins story. But. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. There's, there's guys from this era who just could never kick the habits that they picked up during baseball. Yeah. And it, it I wanted to, cause I couldn't catch exactly when Keith Hernandez sobered up, but was he sober at the point that the trials were going on? Yeah. I think by that point, because he had had that 
as they always say, the come to Jesus moment yep. where he's like, oh boy, this isn't going well. Yeah. But because he had bought cocaine in Pittsburgh and was doing it a lot when he was with St. Louis, like part of me thinks that's why the Cardinals got rid of both him and Lonnie Smith. Well, that's what they said was the trial happened. And then like two weeks later, they traded him to the Mets. Yeah. And, and then Dave Parker, a longtime pirate went to their huge rival, the Reds. They, yeah. they just, you know, they were, they wanted to be a, away from this trial. They didn't want to be like, Hey, these are our players and we're going to keep them because they weren't suspended. That was the other thing is during the trials, I think Keith Hernandez missed two games. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like the suspension never actually came down with, you know. Yeah. And the, and the whole thing is, and Schiffman has talked about this, how much he hated the fact that the players could just go testify walk. and walk away. Yep. And there was a good interview I saw in Real Sports with Brian Gumble where, because what happened was Coke was caught first. Yeah. And then, so he didn't have to go to jail. He ratted on Schiffman and wore a wire. Yeah. And they finally met maybe like 20 years later again because they were like the best of friends. Yeah, they were. And apparently in prison, Schiffman had found Jesus and he was like, I can find it in my heart to forgive him. And that, that it was kind of like them meeting again for the first time and like talking about what had happened. And that was one of the big things that Schiffman brought up is these players, which honestly, unless you're Hernandez, who had already sobered up. Yep. And even though that they have the random drug testing for these guys, I mean, they got away with it. Yeah, they it's got away with it. another example, and they feel like they can skate by. Yes. And guys like Scurry and Aikens and Wiggins. And all these guys post-career that really ne yeah. needed MLB to step in and be like, hey, let's get some sort of and, programs. And, and Reigns got the message because Andre Dawson was one of his big mentors in Montreal. He yep. finally, after the trial, it's like, okay, they're randomly drug testing me. Here's a good example of how to fly right. This guy is a, Andre Dawson, a great dude. Kind of took Reigns under his wing and really helped him out with this righted his ship because he was these guys were so messed up and that was the thing about greenies being so available during this time too was it, there was almost not an off point no like we were talking about earlier with the off season like i wonder what these guys off seasons were like i bet they partied crazy well uh dave parker was talking about how he got introduced to coke wasn't even in pittsburgh he had got introduced to coke when he was playing winter ball in venezuela oh yeah so i mean you know, you're playing winter ball, you're training, and Coke to society at large doesn't have those um, negative consequences that we think of now. Like smoking in the 40s or 50s yeah, or whatever Yeah, you're just going to be doing rails. You don't care. Yeah. You don't care. You you're feel gonna, like a million bucks. You're, you're, you're a professional athlete making a lot of money, feeling awesome, Dr. Roxo style, like, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of these things where in the era, it's hard to talk shit on these guys for doing it because so little was known. They had so much money and, you know, not power, but like uh, popularity. You Pop know? Popularity and sports writers wouldn't rat them out like we talked about with greenies. And there are no negative consequences if your players union always goes to bat for you exactly there's they're not even drug testing for it they're not yeah, even they only started drug testing and they only started drug testing these players because uberos whole thing was to drug test everyone yeah and the union wouldn't allow it they said okay well these like, assholes these 20 guys make or whatever these concessions yeah but don't suspend them for any games mm -hmm. don't take away their paychecks or only take away 10 and 5 percent of their paychecks no matter how bad they did 
and make them do a drop in the bucket community service that they don't care about. Exactly. So it, it's one of those things where MLB just never laid down the punishment for the betterment of players. For the betterment of the game, too. In the game, yeah. I mean, just to keep that stuff out. Like, if you're not playing and you want to do that kind of stuff, fine. But, like, help these guys out when it gets out of control. Yep. You know? Well, here's my next question is, do you think the quality of baseball in the 80s kind of dropped off a little? Or do you think it was still... Because it's it's one of these things where it wasn't a blanket thing like the Greenies with Keith Hernandez talking about less than half were you really using it. I wouldn't think so because like Lonnie Smith was kind of talking about that in an interview where he had said like I don't he was like I don't even think it helped it just I just focused on playing baseball yeah like he wasn't so concerned about the high. He was concerned about the high when he wasn't playing baseball. But when he was, it was mo- more like the focus was yeah, all was important. Like, this is my job for the next four hours, and then I'm going to do Scarface Mountains of Cocaine later. <laughs> exactly. Like, that was kind of the vibe I got from him. Um, but yeah, just absolutely insane. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy to think that baseball in this in these eras because looking back on it you would never know you'd never you would never think of it like to the casual fan you wouldn't think of but i mean like through this research you're looking in our drugs and baseball series is everybody it seems like was on something sometimes multiple things sometimes multiple things you don't know and I bet people were drinking beers and then doing a bump. And the, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, like Wade Boggs. Like, Not doing cocaine, but, you know, amphetamines and beer. Yes. I mean, some guy is doing something. Yes. And well, that's that's what baseball from the outside, when you're watching it as like a kid, as a fan, you never would even imagine it. Because you don't know. And you don't know until there's a federal trial with all these famous baseball players going... This is what was happening? Exactly. And it's so much like the Black Sox. It's so ridiculous because it catches everybody so blindsided that we're 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 just like, wait a second, everybody's doing it? Yeah. Like like the cheating, you're just like, wait a second, everybody's kind of not everybody's cheating, but it's so prevalent. That's the thing that yeah. I think blindsides the populace so much all the time. Yeah, because you're kept in the dark. Because of the code, because of the media, because of everything, you're kept in the dark. And now that we live in kind of the day and age we do, we're actually privy to see this and stuff gets out like that. I was going to say the code really starts to break in the 90s and the early 2000s, which is where our podcast is going to go. Stay tuned for part three, steroids of drugs and baseball. Hell yes. And uh, one last thing, because it is a baseball episode, I'd like to give a shout out to my comedian friend, Dave Margolis, huge baseball fan. He's like a comedy dad to me. And all we do is really chat baseball and jokes and stuff. Um, he has a great podcast here in Tucson on 90.99.9 FM with Phil Gordon called uh, Is This On? And um, they're a great duo. Give them a listen. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Quick uh, story about Dave. He gave me my first non open mic spot. So yeah. that's, that's Dave's something. always helping young exactly. comics. That's yeah. something that Dave, and I hear that from a lot of guys, a lot of comics, not guys. Excuse me. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, man. We're going to get in trouble. All right. Thank you all very much. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast. This is just a stock message at the end of all of our podcasts. So we hope you enjoy. You listen to whatever athlete that was. Give us a follow at the Sports Experience Podcast on Instagram. Also, myself at Sequin Comedy on Instagram. Also, to Tola 
Dominic on Instagram. Just follow us all around. If you have any suggestions for any athletes you want us to do, shoot us an email at the sports experience podcast at gmail.com. And we always are recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.